Welcome to another episode of Mentors for Military, joined by my sidekick, Paul Martinez. Hey, everybody. So um, on this episode here, we're joined by Amber. And Amber, we're going to dive deep into your background and history and everything. But first, I just want to say thanks for coming on the Mentors for Military podcast. Oh, thank you, guys. Also, I was not nervous until I heard that song. <laughs> what the intro the intro song came on and my heart started <laughs> why why is that because i love you guys oh that's awesome <laughs> it's it's awesome having a fan in the show as well as a guest that's pretty cool um I, we don't get that that often so it's really cool you don't have fangirls on the show no oh. no really we don't I do like we paul i don't know that i I, I don't know. I don't know if I, okay. I don't know if I like to be called a fangirl, but I'll I'll claim it for uh, mentors for military. Nice. All right, we'll All take right. it too. And by the way, thank you so much. We received um, some wonderful gifts. We have these nice glasses, and um, it's got the JSOC logo on the front, and then a nice bottle of whiskey. Um, that we've been kind of partaking of that's sitting over there as well. So thank you so much for bringing those gifts. Of course, thank you guys. Can I? If you don't mind, can I say like how I heard about you guys? Yeah, absolutely. No, that would be great. Because We'd it kind of it kind of ties into the whiskey glasses. Really? <laughs> sort of. There's a whiskey story here. Well, there's a JSOC story. <clears throat> oh, there's a JSOC mm-hmm. story. So go for it. Sure. So I was in the middle of assessment and selection for yeah. my current position, and um, <clears throat> during the process, one of the team members pulled me aside and they asked me the question. They said, "Hey, like, when you look at you know, when you, when you look at when you look at a, a person that is either walking around Fort Bragg or Southern Pines or Pinehurst, can you tell a difference between a regular military person and an operator? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I said, yeah, I can tell a difference. And they're like, great. Well, if you want to be on the team, you need to eat, sleep, and think like an operator. And um, at that time, I had been in the conventional side 18 years, and I had no idea what that meant. You know, 18 years... 56 Mike, religious affairs NCO, chaplain assistant, and someone's telling me, hey, if you want to play with the cool kids, like, eat, sleep, and think like an operator. And uh, so I said, okay. And then I went home. I was like, I don't know what that means, right? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, how would you? I don't know what that means. You know, 18 years, like, that's a whole adult child, yeah. right? Yeah. And so <clears throat> I just began to research, and by that, I had to read. And I had to, if, if an operator wrote a book, I was buying it and I was reading it. And I was trying to just fill my head with as much knowledge as I could, but but it wasn't enough, right? So, and I never really was into podcasts except for Joe Rogan. I do like Joe Rogan. Um, but then I stumbled upon, first it was Jocko and I started listening. I was like, wait, this, there's a Navy SEAL out there that like has a podcast, that's cool. But, but it was when I, I came upon Mentors for Military and, and I'm in the middle of assessment and selection. I'm, I'm not chosen yet, right? Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and uh, the first, I, I pulled it up on my Spotify and I start reading bios and the, the information on the episodes, and I and I stumble across um, Patty Collins, and oh. I see, and I see, um, J, you know, JSOC, and and I was like, wait a minute, I was like, there's a woman, I was like, what, <laughs> you know, I was like, this That's is awesome. great, yeah. So I immediately listened to to her episode, and 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 I just I finished it, and I was like, two things came from that, like one, like I want to be her friend, <laughs> I just really <laughs> want to be her friend, and then and also you know if she can do it, and she you know was this pioneer, then like 
I have the ability to. Yeah. And and then I began to listen to more episodes and more and more. And at first it was I kind of was biased and I just started listening to the women that you featured and then I realized like, "Oh my gosh, you guys bring in like some pretty as my teenager would say, BA mm-hmm. <laughs> people, right? <laughs> like, man, this is awesome. And so um so I began to listen daily to you guys, and and at the same time, um, and at the at the time I worked at All American Chapel in Eighty um, Second Land, and I would drive a route that was not uh, normal to my chapel every day, and I, I would drive this route of the compound, and, and I will look in. One day I'm gonna have a badge. <laughs> And one day I'm, I'm going to be able to get in there, and but it was it was that drive and it was listening to your podcast. It really was, wow. and that changed my mindset and my perspective. I, I am not an operator, and I don't claim to be. And I and I'm and I'm not the girl that will go try and get a green beret, and I'm not the girl that will ever, you know, I'm not going to try and be a ranger. Mm-hmm. But I will support some badass people all day long right yeah. <laughs> like and 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 I made it and the first thing I did after I made it was I sent you guys a message because I do believe that podcasts like like this is is what really helped me to get to where I am yeah uh, no I'll just tell you that you know I mention it often about when I get a message or something like that that kind of helps make my day but when I get messages and I remember when you reached out and everything and then you know you mentioned that I, I get the those like yours or that went to they, they were a high school student they listened to episodes and they end up going either 18 x-ray or to 75th or something of that nature it's always really cool to get those types of messages because they said hey I listened to these episodes and it really helped me understand what I should expect and 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 we've talked about it on previous episodes about sometimes you may be in a crossroad and if we had a, a way in which we could see in the future one way or the other to help us make our decision, it would be really helpful, but sometimes we don't. Through these podcasts, we do get a way to get an insight into it, but at the end of the day, your experience is going to be totally different. Yeah. And and so it's I think it's helpful, but I would argue a lot of that is just to you and your determination and your passion, and you heard the things that you probably needed to hear, but um, you had it still within you, or you never would have made it. So... Yeah. Bigger kudos to you. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So I, go ahead. I think I think it's cool too. Like especially, uh, I got made might have made different choices in my military career if I could listen to three or four episodes with special forces guys and then three or four oh, episodes yeah. with ranger guys. Like mm-hmm. I don't know. I, maybe I'd have made a different choice. So it's kind of cool. I think it's cool that we get to be a part of putting that out there and give people like you that are in the process insight into what to expect or, you know, maybe we can help you out in some way. Yeah. Not us, but our guests typically, or, you know, the young guys just, and gals are looking to make a decision. Mm -hmm. Like that resource didn't exist. Yeah. When you and I made our military choices. I mean, you could have had a completely different career. Yeah. So I came in the army in August of 2001. Okay. Oh. Yeah, I was in basic training on 9-11. Wow. What was that like, you know? Oh. <laughs> That's, I mean, were you guys... That had to be interesting. Yeah, so were I you was, guys re- corralled into a, a room or something at that I point? I was literally laying on the ground learning yeah. the four fundamentals of marksmanship. And drill sergeant came in, and he said, we've been hit. And I turned over to my battle buddy, and I was like, no, he just wants me to shoot better. This is exactly what I said. I was like... Yeah. That doesn't mean we're not at war, and I did not join the army to go to war. Yeah, yeah. And it's been this summer; it'll be twenty years. Yeah. And and I 
that just what in my 17 year old mind and 18 when I went like I like war I know it sounds silly when I say it now but I didn't join the army to go to war yeah my whole career has been war and um yeah no I just it it was crazy and then you know and then we have all the extra guard duties and roving and roaming you know all that yeah, because everything stuff. went on high alert at that oh, point. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and I was like, oh, man, we're going to war. We're not even going to finish basic training. We're just going to go. Just going to ship you over there yeah. right now. Yeah. No, so it, was, it was nuts. And then, yeah, it, it was crazy. And then I went um, to AIT. So, uh, yeah, that it was, yeah, I've PCS seven times. I don't know if you want, do you want to know? Yeah, we'll, yeah. Go down, we'll go down that path in just a minute. Sure. Um, what was it then that caused you to go into the military? What was the thing that said, hey, listen, this is going to be for me? So I had no desire at all to be in the military. You didn't? Nope. And um, and and you might like this story. So <laughs> my mother, uh, I'm half Asian. My dad's a Marine. My parents met while he was on embassy duty. Um, Where at? Burma. Okay. My mom's Burma. So... So my mother and I, I was a senior in high school, and we go to this scholarship seminar, and the recruiters are waiting for me right outside. There's two of them, and they're class Bs. You know, my mom, being Asian, just invites them to our house, made it too easy. Like, oh, did she? Wow. Invites them over for dinner. And that's, wow. yeah. So two recruiters in my house that evening, eating dinner, giving me the test on their little laptop, and, uh... I was like, mom. Like, oh, the pre-ASVAB, but yeah. Yeah, like I just was trying to get a scholarship, like, <laughs> and I did. I ended up getting like I actually had a Fulbright academic scholarship, and uh, my mom's like, whoa, what about the army? <laughs> and then, uh, so Asians, you know, we gotta respect your elders, and and it's not that. So originally, I was gonna go to, um, I was gonna take my scholarships and do the National Guard and come home once, yeah, once a month, and uh, I realized my senior year. Um, I worked my butt off in high school and I got really good grades. Honestly, that was kind of my only rule. I'm not going to say it cause I have an Asian mom, but <laughs> like, yeah. that was like yeah. my only rule growing up, like get good grades. Right. So I did. And, um, I was really burnt out and I was, I was like, I don't really know that I want to go to college and get more good grades. Right. And I also know that like, I have this wild spirit about me. So I would have went to college and probably just partied away my scholarships. Yeah. So I decided like I needed discipline and one weekend a month wasn't enough discipline for me. And so I went to the recruiter after I had already gone to MEPS, chosen my everything, you know, and I said, I need to change it from active, from National Guard. I was like, let's just go active duty. Like mm-hmm. I need to get away from Las Vegas. I grew up in Las Vegas. Did like, you really? Yeah, I did. I didn't know. What was boredom. that like? I'm I did living. not know boredom. I didn't know what oh. boredom was. Did you know what sleep was? I did. Now I don't. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, so I tell people, like, the first place the Army ever sent me, because I wanted to go see the world, right? Yeah. So they sent me to Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. Have you guys yeah. ever been? No, not to Fort Leavenworth, but I do have family nearby. Uh, but Well, it's actually a very beautiful place. Yeah. But for a girl who grew, grew up in Las Vegas... Leavenworth, Kansas is just not fun. Yeah. So this is how much of how naive I was at 18. Like I didn't know that gas stations closed at nighttime. Like it's a Sunday night. I got PT on like Monday morning. I go to the gas station at like 10 or 11 o'clock at night and everything's dark. And I thought we had a power outage and I was like, wow. how am I going to get to PT? Like this, that's, I was just so naive. Like I was so, I didn't know. And, um, 
Yeah, I grew up there though, kind of. I was there. <laughs> <laughs> I was. For, it was a better move for me than than just going to college. And I did go to college. And at that time, tuition assistant was seventy five percent. So I always yeah. pay like twenty five percent of my tuition and my books. And then, um, and then uh, next, I went to Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. I was stationed in Cuba in oh five to six for about fifteen months. Uh, it's, it's the only like U.S anything on like communist soil. Yeah. So, so, I mean, we were restricted, like we couldn't go into actual Cuba, you know? Um, but, but it, it was an experience. Um, I had, I was, I was supposed to be there a year, but I, it got extended because I had B knock and route. So, um, I ended up having like two birthdays there. <laughs> That's wow. what I remember. <laughs> yeah. But I mean, it, it was all right. The, the thing that kind of was difficult for me was, um, you know, I was, so most people know us as chaplain's assistants. Yeah. Right? I say religious affairs NCO because we changed our name a few <clears throat> years back. But um, yeah, so I was a chaplain assistant for all the branches, but I was also religiously supporting detainees. Mm. And oh. and that was um, for a 22-year-old girl that, you know, it's they already have a, um, they're not exactly, you know, women are on a priority list, right? Like, we're, yeah. not, we're not exactly cool. You, you, weren't, you weren't well received? No. By the detainees? No, not really. Um, but I built a rapport with them. And that's hard. Like, I don't even like saying that out loud. Like, oh, I built a rapport with terrorists, right? But I did because that was my job. And yeah. I did things that were uncomfortable. Um, but, but it was what I had to do because it yeah. was just part of the job. And... Um, yeah, and then after, so, I, yeah, it it was something, like, knowing now, like, because I had never deployed uh, at that time yeah. in my career, and so having not deployed in your first experience is like, oh, you don't have to go to, like, war, but here's the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah, that, that had to be really odd. I mean, I guess I should have known that you didn't get a chance to leave the compound in Cuba, but... You know, you also kind of maybe it clicks into your mind first about detainees and everything, but yet it could be that you don't really think about that a whole lot. You saying that it it kind of like made me think, wow, you know, in an early stage career, that could be very, um, it could weigh on you heavily. You know, you're in a compound. You're experiencing terrorists mm-hmm. in in a confined space and everything, but also, I don't know. It's just uh, it would be very weird. It, it was, and it was also like high valued terrorists too. You know, it wasn't just yeah. like some random, you know, guy. But but what I what I when I look back on it, it actually set me up to be a successful um, religious affairs NCO because I was able to <clears throat> um, like it didn't matter that I'm not. Um, Muslim, right? It didn't matter that that's not my personal religion. I had to, as my job, support a religion that I don't necessarily believe in. Um, and, and that's how I, for the rest of my career, have been. Like, it doesn't matter if someone comes of another faith, like, I'm going to do everything in my power to support them because that's what my job is. And so even though it was not a, a military member that I was helping, it still gave me that um, openness to all religions which I think yeah. makes me a better NCO. Yeah. So how do you... I, I, you're probably going to ask the same question. Now. Yeah. Go ahead. How, how do you support someone? They, they don't share your faith. Yeah. They're in Gitmo for a reason. 
Yeah. You know, and so we're, ta- you, so we're talking so about the bank. You have to help them. Somehow. Yeah. So um, what I would do is I would give them religious supplies, and okay. so yeah, so that what they needed to do, you know, their prayers, like their prayer beads, their prayer hats, their prayer caps, yeah. their prayer rugs. Um, I, I was like their um, supply. I didn't. I never touched the Quran because there was a lot of it, uh, issue with that. But um, but I definitely was there to support them in that way. Okay. Gotcha. That's yeah wild. I mean, it's one of those things where you kind of like slap your forehead. You're like, yeah, of course, this is happening. But it, I didn't. It I is didn't wild, ex- right? I didn't expect to. And they and they are some smart little bad words. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm just. I know, like the chaplain corps is probably going to listen to this. And I'm trying. You know, I'm. Just, let me just apologize right now. I will probably cuss. <laughs> I'll probably say a curse word or two. Well, uh, when you when you came in. You know, you said that the recruiters were at your house and you ended up doing that and everything. What made you choose this as a profession? Chaplain's assistant? Yeah. I like helping people. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoy helping people. I, I would have went to college and studied psychology or social, um, any anything to where I could sit down and, you know, and I've always been that way. Like, people always come to me and tell me their problems, and, and I've always been, like, a confidant. And, and I think that, um, and, and that's that's what's really cool about being a chaplain assistant. It's like, you, you know, we are, like, you know, I, I don't have the same schooling. I, don't, I didn't go get my chap uh, degree in divinity or anything like that, but I do hold the same confidentiality level that a chaplain does. And so if a soldier, or anybody for that matter, comes and tells me something, like, it's going to my grave, no matter what yeah, it is. Right. And I carry a lot of secrets. I carry so much from, I mean, like it's going to be 20 years soon. And, and the things that people have told me and in, in, in confidence, like it's, it's just with me. Yeah. Well, I think that's what a lot of people maybe misunderstand is that, you know, they feel like you have to be someplace in order to actually have that experience. And yet you experience it later and you hear it, the grief from the individual who's speaking and everything, and um, it would be almost as if you're there because you're having to carry, carry a lot of that burden. I think it's really cool, you know, when you talk about in the very beginning that you came in because you wanted to help people, and that's really what you're all about and everything. You know, there there were so many MOSs that you could have gone into, but having chose this one... Did you know about it or did you? They showed me a little video. Is that what it was? So they well, did... no. So I actually had a top 10. I had a top 10. Oh, okay. Because at the time there were 212. Do you remember? 212 MOSs in the you Army. remember that? Yes. There were 212 and I chose 10 of them. And I had a, I made myself a top 10 list and I went to MEPS. And in Las Vegas, they, they fly you to Salt Lake City. And so I went to Salt Lake City with my top 10. And chapel assistant was number three. I can't remember what number two was, but number one was uh, psyops, and only because it had the word psy. Like I was like, like psychology. Like I could be a psychologist. Yeah. You know? So what was your major? Uh, In college, what were you gonna go into? Psychology. Okay. So, so I was like, oh, psyops, and then the guy looked at me. The what is it called? Like the career guy. The guy that's not the, the guidance counselor. The guidance counselor, yeah. and he's like, "Why do you want to do that?" I was like, "I want to help people." He's like, "You don't want to do that. You don't yeah. want to be psyops." So I was like, "Yeah." But it says sigh in it. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, nah. Yeah, he told me something crazy. So he showed me this video. It was pretty cheesy, but I was like, 
all right, we'll do it. And at that time, when I signed my initial contract, it was National Guard. So um, I didn't think I would do this for 20 years. And I didn't think I would do it for more than four years. And I didn't think we'd go to war. Yeah. And I didn't know, like, who knew September 11th was going to happen, right? For your entire military career, you've spent in a field that, like you said, you, you end up listening to individuals, carrying a lot of their burden or helping them through it and everything else and their challenges, while at the same time likely experiencing your own challenges, 20 years of that, you know, it it can probably, I'm assuming, put a lot of weight on you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's three things that the chaplain corps does. And uh, one, you know, we nurture the living and then we um, care for the wounded and we honor the fallen. And those three things, like if you, if you, you know, if you do those three things, then you're successful. And, um, and I, and I, and I feel kind of bad saying I have a favorite. Um, but for me, the most important is honoring the fallen. And, and it would be really ideal if I could say, you know, I've only lost one battle buddy or I've only lost one friend. Um, and, and I used to count and, and I don't know if it was at the time for like, I don't know why I was counting or keeping record, but I stopped at a hundred. I was like, this is stupid. Like, why am I counting? And, and now it's been hundreds of memorial ceremonies. I've worked hundreds. I mean, wow. And you know, some of them are friends. Some of them are guys in the unit. Some of them are people I never met. Um, and it, it does weigh a lot. It weighs, it weighs a whole fucking lot. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, you know, people, I think you guys may have been talking about this off air, but I mean, like mortuary affairs, um, there are a lot of different MOSs that people always think, you know, it's more combat arms related. Mm-hmm. There are a lot more people that are engaged in various ways with the post combat aspect of it. Well, and, and in important ways. Yeah. You know, like I'm, so thankful that I'm not the one who has to go to all those memorial ceremonies. I did one. Uh, we laid uh, my range buddy Santiago to rest in his hometown, and his request was that we were the firing party. So we painted our sniper rifles and we went out and we did the firing party. And yeah. we were his pallbearers as well. And so that was a little out of the norm. And that one experience. Changed the whole course of my life. I mean, changed my perspective on so many things. And I'm proud that I was able to do that. But that was the hardest thing I think I've ever done. Yeah. And I've, you know, people like you or people like I've got a friend uh, that I do some horse stuff with. You know, he, he can't play taps anymore because he's done so many funerals. And it's like, I, I couldn't do that. I couldn't put, I couldn't lay people to rest every, every day at that, at that rate. I mean, I don't know. I respect operators so much, so much. And I've had operators tell me like they can't do what I do. And no it's way. just the emotional part. Yeah. They get, they're like, I, I can't do it. Yeah. And then, yeah. I, I, there was a time in my, in my career, I was about 10, 10 years in, um, that I became numb in every memorial, every time taps goes every, every time I hear taps and, or, 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 or last roll call in, and a little girl or a little boy's crying, you know? I mean, I immediately like water up and, and, but there was a time, you know, for about six months, I was so numb to it, you know, and it was probably around that hundred year or hundred memorial mark. And I was just like, you know, I think I got pretty angry at God and I was just like, how many, Yeah. you know, like how, 
we're in two countries. At the time, it was Iraq and Afghanistan. I was like, we're in two countries. Everyone's dying. What for? Why? Like, why? And, yeah. and, and it's a hard pill to swallow. And it's even harder when you got to look at the, the wives and the, and the kids and, or the husbands or the girlfriends or the fiancés. Like, that's the part that just tears me up. And that's the part that, like, keeps me up at night. That's the part that, like, will go to my grave, you know? Like, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I think that um, a lot of times chaplains aren't really looked at as anyone except, like, the religious weirdo, in the unit, right? Like, <laughs> they're just like, oh, get away from me, preacher man. Um, and, and I'll be the first to say, like, chaplain assistants, like, we're a weird bunch. Like, we're not that normal. I, f- I feel I'm pretty normal, but, like... We do a lot. We do a lot of things that just suck. <laughs> they do. They just suck. But they're needed. Well, I mean, when you think about typically when an individual gets to the point where they're going to talk to a chaplain or, you know, it's usually in that stage, unless they're just on a spiritual journey, you know, it's usually at a stage where they need the help the most mm-hmm. or unfortunately it's post and they're no longer around. And you're seeing them for the first time, but unfortunately, not in the best way. You know, they're they're in a casket or something. And so I think that, you know, it's you have such a tremendous and a, and a difficult job that you're trying to accomplish there. When you're I, I am curious, so when you're as a chaplain assistant and stuff, do you get involved into some of the counseling and get a chance to build the relationships and form them with the individuals as they're going through their challenges and stuff or sure so I, I wouldn't call myself a counselor um i, I kind of you know i would leave the counseling and all that up to the chaplain or we would refer them out to like mental health or like an, a, mm-hmm. a counselor or something like that but um but i definitely build relationships and i'm all about relationships so i i, I build relationships everywhere i go and um and sometimes that does lead into counseling but it's all it's usually more of like a friendship yeah yeah like I, i'm i'm not comfortable ever calling myself a counselor um but definitely a friend yeah when you guys oh. yeah so when you kind of got to that 100 memorial mark mm-hmm. and you like felt yourself like kind of go numb like do you still feel that way what it, it did something bring you back um, yeah, so coming home from Iraq, and uh, there was an incident with, um, well, I guess there's probably been a couple times where I've gone through some numb stages, and one of them, um, what got, and I'm going to try really hard not to cry on this one, um, I, I came home, and it was actually Afghanistan, I came home from Afghanistan, and my son, he, um, he was little at the time, and and um, there, you know those toy wooden guns with a little pop, like a little yeah. cork at the end, yeah. the string. Yep. So we were at Fort Bliss. And there was like a big, like bazaar kind of like crafting thing at the conference center there. And and I take my son, and I, I should never have been in such a crowded place right after coming home, right? And so I'm in this huge crowded place, and my little kid is with me, and he picks up one of the vendors has this toy gun, and he picks it up, and he sh- he looks right at me, and he just. He's like, Mom, look. And I look down at him, and he shoots it, and the thing pops, and it goes towards my face. And I just, I lost my shit on my kid. Like, I went down, and I grabbed it out. I snatched it out of him, and I looked at it, and ah, here comes the tears, guys. (laughs) And I get right in his face, and I was like, how dare you? He's a child. You know, it's my little boy. And I look at I was like, how dare you? I was like, do you know where I just came from? And 
And he just began to cry. And I just began to like, oh my God. And I just, and I cried and I ran out. My friend was with me and she, you know, took my son and I just ran out of the building and I, and I got to where I could get some air and I just sat there and I was just like, how long am I going to be like this? Right? Like, Mm -hmm. what do I need to do to get myself right? And it's not to go off on my kid for no reason. And it's not to be a a parent who isn't present. Mm -hmm. And that's what I was doing. I was living my life not being present. And I'm a very firm believer of doing the work. And I was not doing the work. And I will sit there and I'll tell people all day long, do the work. But I was not doing the work. And uh, I would say that incident right there definitely got me to a point of, um, you know, self-realization of like, you're not okay. And get there. And get there fast because your little boy is suffering. And um, I think military children are just as much heroes as any of us that put on a uniform like like my kid only knows the military and he will probably be in the military one day and and that's like that's the only life he knows you know and and it's 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 a lot right well you remember us talking with um with Lee a little while ago about, or on his episode about, you know, being in the moment and being present. I think it's a challenge that a lot of us, especially within the military have, because, you know, we, we talk about it, that we are taught not to, we're taught to be in that moment, but necessarily, not necessarily, um, it's hard to like get and show our emotions. And, you know, I had a father that was pretty much the same way, I think, you know, and, and I think it's it's something that we've got to change, you know, especially with our families because it can and and those we love that are around us in our circles. Um, I I don't know. I think that it's hard to to kind of be in that moment all the time. And I'm learning it a lot more. It's taken me a long time to get to the point where I can live in that moment and live in the present. Uh, but it's it's just not an easy thing to do for a lot of people. It's not and. And I think that families suffer the most, and that's why the divorce rate is so high. And, and I'm really blessed to be able to, to give back right now, but, but I, I, I'll just throw this out there. Like, I'm divorced twice. Yeah. I'm a two-time divorcee, and, and I am also, the military has spent money certifying me on about seven or eight curriculums, like sending me TDY so that I could teach marriage classes on communication and, you know, all these curriculums. I don't know if you guys have heard of, like, you know, the Strong Bonds programs and, like, weekend retreats. So Strong Bonds um, on the conventional side is a really cool, um, like, the chaplain's retreats or training events. And you'll go to, like, a nice hotel and hotel and five meals and childcare is paid for and you have to go to a few classes with the chaplain and and, um, it's a nice weekend away and so, sometimes it's reintegration sometimes it's um, spouses of deployed soldiers sometimes it's just the singles and it's a great and an, an extremely great or um, program but I, I would like like when I was at Fort Bliss there were at the time there were no chaplains certified to teach these classes and I was the only one that was certified and I I received all this money and I had to do all these programs and I would go away you know and I would stand up in front of 30 couples in my from my infantry brigade and I would teach all these these marriage classes and at the time you know I'm standing in front of commanders and sergeant majors and first sergeants and everybody and their spouses right and my marriage I was married at the time my marriage was awful 
it was falling apart. But I stood there and acted like I knew what I was doing because I was certified, right? Because <laughs> <laughs> I knew what to say. To, to, and, and it, but that's what happens. And, and I'm not. And I won't sit here and say anything negative about my ex-husband. Um, but, but him and I, between us, I think we had like seven or eight years of combat. Yeah. Marriage is hard, and anyone who says it's yeah. not is a liar. Now add two combat people <laughs> together, yeah. and then try and make a successful marriage. Like that's gonna be hard. Yeah. It's gonna be hard. It's gonna be difficult. You. Everybody already brings baggage into a relationship, and if you don't unpack that baggage in a healthy way, then you just throw up all over each other all the time. And and unfortunately, like that didn't work out for me. Marriage didn't. But um, but that's okay. And. And, and now I, I'm in a really cool place where, like, I get to do it again, but I get to do it for a community of, like, different people. And it's really cool. Um, I don't so much teach anymore, but I plan all the events, and it's great. So let's let's kind of cover that because I think throughout your, your military career, you had how many different M, um, assignments or different installations that you went to? Because we were talking uh, about yeah. that earlier. So I've like, been I've PCS seven times, but seven with yes, yeah, a few places I've been in different units. So I couldn't even tell you how many units I've been in. But yeah. I'm like, it, so I've been in like infantry and artillery and MP units and. Um, yeah, just all sorts of them. So, yeah. well, yeah, if we, if we go back, so Cuba after Cuba, I went to Leonardwood. After Leonardwood, I went to Hawaii. After Hawaii, um, I now loved Hawaii. That was my favorite place I ever was stationed. Um, I my I say my stuff was there for three years. <laughs> I went to Iraq in the middle of that. Uh, then I went after Hawaii. I went to Fort Bliss, Texas. Then Fort Sill, and then Fort Bragg. Okay, so Fort Bragg was the first time that you got an opportunity to work within special operations? Yes. Okay. So the rest of your military career has been spent primarily with the conventional forces. 18 years conventional. Yeah. How was the... So how did you find the difference in those building of those relationships and then not only that, but helping the individuals? Did you find it to be you know, some of the, the same challenges and stuff, both conventional and special operations, or have you found some uniqueness in terms of what you see from your perspective of both those areas? So I, I would say, I would say there's m- more challenges um, relationally in special ops just because their their mission is different, right? They seem to be gone more. They have, they just have different missions and, and I think they, you know, and, and it's not to take anything away from the rest of the, the military. Um, just the wear and tear of rotations. The wear, yeah. yeah. The wear and tear. And, you know, it, it, and, and I think anytime you leave your family, it's going to be hard, yeah. whether it's to go to Afghanistan or you're just going to an NTC rotation. Mm-hmm. Like it's just difficult when you don't have your person with yeah. you. So, um, so I think I've noticed, um, and, and I was at Bragg for three years before I worked in, um, JSOC. Where were you at? Garrison. Okay. So, so I came to Fort Bragg and I was, um, I was the fund manager. <laughs> um, so they have a thing outside of the chaplain court was well, in the chaplain court, but you can kind of branch off and you do, you go to resource management school and then you are able to like kind of get this like finance not background, but um, learn a bunch of stuff like that. And then you manage like chapel tithes and offerings. Mm-hmm. And so Fort Bragg um, at the time was like the largest fund um, in the military, mainly because we just have so many people there. And um, yeah, so I managed that for a couple of years. 
I went over to All American Chapel, and then I got the current awesome job that I do now. <laughs> yeah, so let's kind of get into that because sure. when when it came time for you to um, to consider your now career field and the direction that you went into. What was it that made you decide to go and take on an additional challenge this late in your career? So I didn't try. Um, I didn't. Act- oh, I, I thought you were still more volunteer. Did work. I did I volunteer to work where I work now? Yeah. Uh, no, they they kind of reached out to me. Okay. And then, um, yeah, and, uh, yeah. I wish I could say everything. I think I signed some non-disclosures, <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, no. So they, so yeah. One day I re- I received an email and I did what it said. Yeah, I <laughs> yeah, got you. That's okay. how it all started. Yeah, <laughs> I received an email. I did, um, and it's funny too. So when I got the email at first, I thought it was one of those like mass-produced. Every you know, every person got it. So I um, I had text a couple of my my buddies that were the same rank as me, and I was like, hey, did y'all get this email? And two of them, they're like, no. I was like, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> and then like, <laughs> so I did what it said. And, yeah, and then that started the process. So, and then, yeah, so you went off to selection, mm-hmm. and yes. now you're a part of JSOC. Yeah. Yeah, and so we talked about that in the very beginning. And, you know, again, being in the – I guess I want to – I want people to kind of understand too is that you know when we when we start going into some of the challenges that people have you know post traumatic stress or things that they have out in the outside I think we covered a little bit within the episode that you were listening to with Lee is that um, I think we're getting to a better place where we're we're helping individuals a lot more with some of the challenges that they are um, finding on active duty whereas I think in the past we kind of hid those things. Those weren't things that we really wanted to talk about. Sure. And I think that I've got to give a lot of kudos to commands now who are really going out of the way to try to find ways in which to help people, um, on their journey, you know? Yeah. Do you know what, um, what, what POTIF is? Preservation no. of no. force and family. So, um, it, you know, what Thor is like what? Great- no. Yep. Well, <laughs> I, I just learned about. It. Okay. Yeah. So, so share it both. Gr- yeah. Group. So, group has this program called Thor, and it's um, it it's like, it, you know, perf- professional. Um, I, I don't want to mess it up, but but it's it's like um, workout perform performance stuff. Like it helps like with rehabilitation. It helps with um, them getting to where they want to physically. Um, it's like, it's like having these amazing personal trainers and, and in all the different areas. Right. And so, um, it's a, it's a, an initiative from, from like SOCOM. Um, but, but there's different pillars in, in, in this POTIF thing, preservation of force and family. A lot of it is holistic and, um, you know, there's a family pillar, there's a social pillar, there's, um, the, you know, the, um, cognitive and and there's also a spiritual pillar so i am the spiritual nco um i i help with that for jsoc and so i'm able to do programs or put in for programs to because because people don't think of of spiritual as like a necessary you know like i don't need to be religious i don't need and when people ask me if i'm religious i always say no yeah but i'm spiritual yeah, that's my answer. Yeah, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Yeah, <laughs> because because I'm not religious. I don't go to church every Sunday, but I do things like sit on my yoga mat and meditate, or sit in my office like when I'm stressed and I breathe slowly. Yeah, you know, and I do things that um, help me because because it's important. But the spiritual pillar has a lot that that chaplains are involved in to help in that area, and, and it's it's important. It really is. 
why, why is the spiritual component of that so important? Because I think a lot of guys like me, they're like, you know, I'm, I'm just a meathead. I don't think about a whole lot, you know? Um, but, well, if you, like, um, the last episode you guys aired was um, Phil's, right? The yeah. American Yogi. Mm-hmm. That's pretty spiritual. Yeah. And if you can get a bearded man on a mat, <laughs> whether he wants to admit it or not, that was a spiritual incident. Yeah. And, and I might look at it from a spiritual pers- perspective, and he might just look at it as like, well, now I can breathe. Now I have a little peace. And, and, and words are just words, right? But to me, almost everything's spiritual. But um, whatever gets you through the next hour of your life is what matters. And if you want to call it religion or spirit or God or, you know, maybe it is that run that you needed. Mm-hmm. And maybe on that run you were praying to somebody. I, I, I mean, I don't know. Everyone's different. Everyone's path is gotcha. different. But for but for me, like, like I think that's why like what Phil and American Yogi does is so great because because that's that's what that's all I see at Bragg is like big dudes who just need a little bit of spiritual. You know, <laughs> yeah. there's there's a lot of big you know I don't want to call them meatheads, but oh, they're meatheads. Yeah, okay. no, they're my people. Not. We can, I can call them that. <laughs> you know, and and I think it's important to take a step back. You know, we always got to look in the mirror and we always got to analyze like where am I? Where am I? Where's my azimuth? Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully pointing true north. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, it's when you say spiritual to me, it can mean so many different things as well. Like you said, mm-hmm. some people think of it more of a religious standpoint, um, but it's also being somewhat grounded. Yet there's a component of that I think that a lot of people miss out on. And I think there was a, I don't know, there was some uh, famous person that sometimes said that basically a man without hope is a man that's kind of lost, you know? So if you, if you don't have hope and you don't, you know, you don't think of the, um, not just the present, but that there is something there that's helping you in your journey in life, you know, from a spiritual sense, uh, sense, whether it's your surroundings, um, yin and yang, you know, type of stuff. And, and your, I don't know. It's just, to me, it's like it helps an individual kind of remain grounded, I guess. And this is just Robert's personal um, feeling. Again, not getting the the religious side of this, but more of the spiritual side. And I think that's what Phil Phil and I connected on was more of like, you know, the mindfulness and, and being connected and understanding you know, your breathing and your body and your surroundings and the things and stuff and calming yourself to a point is a very spiritual part. Absolutely. And then having the hope that something's going to be better, that I'm going to be able to move forward and those types of things gets you off the mat as well. You know, that because now you have something that you can build upon. Yeah. I don't know. That's me. No, I, I 100% agree. Yeah, I, I really like the mindful movement, and I, and I like what American Yogi represents. I like that they are able to reach a, a crowd of people that it's very difficult to reach in that area. Yeah. You know, like, it's, it's like, my first deployment, um, I used to, it's kind of embarrassing, so I used to dip. <laughs> I used to. Me too. <laughs> no judgment. And, uh, and my chaplain, he used to smoke cigars, and, and we would go to the smoke pit, where we would talk to guys who would never step foot in the chapel. But it was like we would have church with them, but they didn't know. 
because I had a dip in my mouth, and he had a cigar, and he always had an extra cigar, and he'd give it to a guy, right? And we just talk, and it's just talking, right? Like you and I are doing, like. But but that was our church. Yeah. And that was, and that's how you have to, you know, church isn't in church. Yeah. You know, church is everywhere. S- spiritual things happen everywhere. It doesn't have to happen in a religious building. And and that's what's really cool about my job. Like I don't have to go inside of a building with a cross on it to feel you know, any kind of spiritual experience. Mm-hmm. So that I, I do, I do enjoy that part. Can I tell a story? Yeah. All right. Please do. So I uh, was probably another tear jerker. I'm sorry guys. <laughs> but, <laughs> Let's do it. I'm ready. All right. All right. I'm, I'm, I'm trying not to. I didn't bring a box of tissues or anything. As, as I'm, I'm see, you know, I'm, I'm, I wear eye makeup on purpose so I don't cry and then I just cry. <laughs> just <'cause laughs> anyway. um, so, um, so I I went to Iraq uh, with um, with 25th Infantry Division and um, their third brigade, Bronco Brigade, which was um, a light infantry. And um, when I came home from Iraq, my son was seven years old, and I had been gone over half of his life. And so they, and you know, I'm a single mom. They, uh, my Sergeant Major asked me, I'm not a Sergeant Major, a Sergeant Major Chaplain Assistant in Hawaii. She, she asked me, you know, do you want to, do you want me to switch you out with someone who hasn't deployed? Because we came back from Iraq and we were already on the patch chart to go to Afghanistan. And, um, you know, I, I decided, I was like, yeah, you know, I'm going to take a knee. Like, let me be a mom for, for a little bit. And so, um, so I didn't know, you know, I find this out later. Like, I didn't know that I had so much guilt for not going to Afghanistan. Mm. So I ended up PCSing. So I went to a, a non-deployable unit in Hawaii, and then I ended up PCSing to a unit in Fort Bliss, who also went to Afghanistan. So I went to Afghanistan shortly after my friends, right? So I had that rapport with my Iraq deployment, and now the people that I went to Iraq with are dying in Afghanistan. And I'm about to go to Afghanistan with people I don't know. And I'm just like, I think I was, I was on our, or I was on leave about to deploy and I was on leave in Las Vegas and I'm hearing about, you know, my friends that are dying and I'm just like, golly, this, this is awful. And, um, and so now I go on this deployment and I'm, you know, just feeling, feeling a certain way. And we had a rough deployment. We had a lot of people die that year. And, um, and anyways, fast forward about 10 years. Um, so, so I am about a couple years ago, a year and a half ago, in Fort Bragg, and I'm at a training, one of the trainings that, uh, so I could teach at these marriage events, right? And this chaplain, his name's Troy, Troy Bates, pulls me aside, and he's like, hey, Amber, like, how do I know you? You know, where, where have we been stationed together? And we, we figured it out, and he was the chaplain that replaced my chaplain in Iraq and, um, and went to Afghanistan with my friends. And we're sitting there, and this is my first conversation ever with Troy. And um, he's an amazing chaplain, currently works um, in my organization, which is awesome. But he says to me, um, or I say to him, I was like, yeah, I was like, Afghanistan was awful. He's like, yeah, it was a rough deployment. I was like, yeah, I know my friends died. And he just starts naming off my friends, right? Because he worked their memorials. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm just like feeling so, so awful. And this is why, and I share this story because I want, I want people to know the importance of a chaplain and a religious affairs NCO in a unit. And here, and here's, so, and I also don't know that my friends know this story, and it might not be my story to tell, but I think it'll give a lot of peace to people. Um, so Sergeant William Gross, 
um, biggest smile you, like you've, you've ever seen, like amazing guy. Um, he he came to the, he knocked on the chaplain's door um, the night before he died with his rosary, and he said he said sir, and he was shaking, and he said sir, he's like I know I'm gonna die, I know I'm gonna die, and I need you to pray for me. And Troy Bates, Chaplain Bates, and his um, dear friend of mine, uh, Lindsay, the cha- the chaplain assistant, Lindsay Jones, they they spent time with him, and they prayed with him, and they made him, you know, not fear death, and they they gave him peace. You know, they they did the things, and said, you know, they they gave him that. Yeah, and he left. I, and they spent a long time with him, and I and I don't find I don't know about the story until years later, and um. And then the next day, uh, like two in the morning, the XO knocks on the chaplain's door. He's like, "Sir, you need to come to the talk. We have a KIA," and um and out of that, you know, and he said, "William Gross," and the XO's like, "God, you know, you know," and he knew because William knew, and and I don't know how all that stuff works, right? Like, but I know. That my friend went to the chaplain and to the chaplain assistant, and those two were able to give him something that nobody else in the unit could have done. Yeah. And and as Troy's telling me this, it was two summers ago that I find this out, and it had been like eight years or something. I didn't know that I had misplaced guilt about you know. I didn't know that. It really sucks that my friend had to die. Like that fucking sucks. And and his death did a lot to the sappers. Like he he just he just was somebody really amazing to them and and to all of us. And and I think that if people don't you know, if, if you take anything from this story, it, it is, you know, I, I hope you know the importance not just to me, but to the whole to to all of us. Like it is so important to like honor the fallen. And that's what we do, right? And Chaplain Bates, he did all three of those. He nurtured the living, and he cared for the wounded, and he honored the fallen in the most noble and honorable way possible. And 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 I, you know, it's it's stories like that 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 just it gives me a little bit of hope, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's hard to deal with those things. And it's hard, and, and, and that's just one yeah. story. And, uh, yeah, so I hope that I hope that some of my old sappers are listening to that and have a little peace in knowing that. Well, I, again, I think that there's a lot of people, myself included, that probably took for granted some of the roles in which you, individuals like yourself play you don't you don't recognize or you don't see them on a daily basis you you don't have an opportunity to interact and understand you know really i mean you know we may see you come and provide a service or something of that nature and then you leave but you don't get an opportunity to really build that type of relationship sure. unless someone like yourself goes out of the way or i go out of my way to try to find that out yeah and so, yeah, I, I mean, I appreciate you bringing that to the table. And y- you you have now, you know, all of this career and all of the things that you've done and not only building relationships but helping with others, 
you're taking your career down a really different path here too on the outside. Yeah. And, and what you're starting to do. And it kind of threw me for a loop when I found out, you know, what you were, you said the, Hey, there's an announcement that I'm going to be making about something I'm going to be doing. Yeah. And then when I saw <laughs> what it was, it was like, what? I didn't see that coming. So I, I assume you're talking about Wolf's Den. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So, um, it, it, it's actually, it actually started 10 years ago. Okay. Uh, not Wolves Den. Um, Just the concept. Um, sort of. So I started volunteering with different organizations in different states that I was stationed. Um, and, I, and it started with, um, so when I was in Hawaii, um, I was volunteering with a different group, like a, a group there, it, we were called Triple S. I was young, young, it was mainly surfers and skate, tri- surf, skate surrender. <laughs> so um, we would meet every Saturday night, like 10 or 11 o'clock at night in Chinatown at the grocery store. And we would buy peanut butter and jelly and bread and bottled water and chips. And we would bag it up together and we would walk Chinatown and feed the homeless every single Saturday night in, in Hawaii. And one day we're feeding the homeless and um, the guy, uh, guy was walking with me and he had a water, water bottle and there was a girl on the street corner very little clothes, you know, the clear heels. It was pretty obvious what she was doing on the corner. Mm-hmm. And he hands her a, a bottle of water and we just keep walking. And I think he said like, have a good night or something like that, you know, and keeps walking. And it, I did not like that. You know, I'd, I just, I was just like, why would you help her work? You know, like, and I was very cold hearted to it. And then the next day I was just so much guilt for feeling that way. And that's when it began. You know, I just had this seed. It was like the seed was, was, started then and and that's when um i began to to do things that um like i started taking like classes and and i would go to like these conferences and then i would find organizations that would help to combat sex trafficking and hawaii is a huge hub for sex trafficking um and then as i got deeper into it i realized like yeah, it's pretty bad in other countries. It's awful in places like India and Thailand, Cambodia. But you know what? It's pretty freaking bad in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. And and that sucks. Yeah. That as Americans who have so much freedom, right? The freedom that all three of us have fought for. And and then like now now children are being raped and tortured on the daily. Yeah. And so, um, so I just began to, um, every place I was stationed for the last 10 years, I just was involved in some way. And when I came to North Carolina, there was a really cool group called Five Sparrows, and I did everything I could with them. Um, and unfortunately, they uh, kind of closed down in January, right before COVID hit. And, I, and as they closed down, I, I just kind of, I was like, what am I going to do now? Like, who am I going to volunteer with? And I volunteered with a really cool um, uh, homeless center for, for about a year. Um, and I even helped, like, run it. And I was on their board. And it was really great. But it, that what, that's not my passion. You know, like, feeding the homeless is a good thing to do. But it's not what I'm meant to do. And so um, I thought what I was going to do was retire and purchase like a ranch in the middle of nowhere. I was, I was, I kept saying Montana. I was like, I'm doing Montana. I've never been, but Montana sounds pretty awful. Like, <laughs> like in the middle of nowhere, awful is what, you know, like I have to have a, a center away from things yeah. and, you know, distractions. And so, um, so that was the plan. And then, and then I realized like, 
with with Five Sparrows closing and with me not having a place to volunteer, you know, I, I just kind of, it was stirring up in me, you know, how much longer are you going to volunteer with these organizations? Like, it's time to run. It's time to run one. And I have the tools. I have the knowledge. I have the experience, you know. And so, so that's when um, Wolves Den became um, kind of like a thought and then a dream. And then it just jumped all in. So what's the mission then? What, I mean, of Wolves Den? Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's ultimately it's, it's, it's to combat sex trafficking and pedophilia. But how? mainly for how? Sure. So we have three pillars. And one is like to build teams and then work with law enforcement. Um, and then, and then the second part is to like education, education to the community. Like we'll do classes to we'll, watch for what girls who, you know, or mm-hmm. guys or boys, yeah. girl. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, I'll have like classes and I'll just pitch the classes and it's just like informational. Yeah. And then, um, and then under that is also like our volunteer program and then like have the different ways you could volunteer. Um, there's different levels of volunteering and then there's also, um, and then the third part is resourcing. So right now I don't have that ranch that I will ultimately one day have, um, but resourcing as getting at, them to where they need to as be a transitional. Uh, okay, mm-hmm. so. like um, like the connections, like yeah. being connected with other resources, um, and then and then just being able to help them through that process okay. of changing. You know, of of because I think of getting value back to their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I found out through starting Wolves Den, um, there's so much, there's so many people that want to help, and and. Um, I, I put my office in downtown Southern Pines. Strategically, I put it in downtown Southern Pines because that's where operators live. And I wanted operators to be a part of it because they already have the knowledge. They've already done this in other countries, right? Mm-hmm. And and all I did was put a little office in the middle of downtown Southern Pines, and that's all it took. And I put a little announcement on my Instagram, right? And it just flooded. And I like I have... Uh, my friend TJ, he has like um, oh I forget what it's called. Like he, so he took my logo and he made it an actual logo. Like right? like he he did all the things to it, all right. the graphic design, and he put it through his computer. And now like my logo looks way better than it was. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I have like another friend. Um, he works in third group. Uh, he's not an operator, but uh, he his name's Jay, and he he immediately hit me up and he's like, what can I do? Like I want to help. He's also like a tattoo guy. And you know, I was like, hey, so I'm gonna need, cause a lot of times girls are branded by yeah. either their pimps or whoever, you know? So I was like, I'm, I could use a cover up artist, right? Okay. So like he's, he's no, my- okay, That in itself sounds crazy, but you're absolutely right. I mean, so when you think of like a cover up, you know, most of the time- Or laser removal. Yeah, people mm-hmm. people go and they get those done because, oh, I had something when I was 18 years old. I never, Tasmanian devil, I, I always say that because my wife, I, I actually was going to get that stupid uh, <laughs> tattoo coming out of basic training. Did she talk you out of it? No, no, I didn't know her at the time frame, but she always picks on me about it. She goes, think about it now. Your age, you'd had a Tasmanian devil on your arm. I'd had some splaining to do as to why that thing's on there. But yeah, you you put something in some stupid um, tattoo that's out there that you end up getting on your body, and then you want it removed. But you don't think about it as a sex trafficking piece that these people work gangs. gangs. You know, yeah. you're yeah, you're wanting to remove that out of your life and. You know, you need that kind of network of individuals that you could say, here, here's somebody I trust that can help you, you know, get a hold and put it into more of a light that's going to, you know, how, how can I change this in a more positive perspective? 
Sure. And, and you know, you mentioned gangs, like yeah. gangs and sex trafficking. It is, it is so intertwined. It really I often is. wondered about that. You know, we had Guardian Group on and, you know, former Delta operator that founded uh, Guardian Group. And, you know, and, and what he talked about a lot is that it's your girl next door. It's, you know, a lot of times mm-hmm. it's the kids that you'd never even think about or anything, but they get influenced through the Internet or through Instagram. You get clicks and likes and people start reaching out to you. And next thing you know, somebody's in communication with you and you feel this person's friended you and you should go and meet them and bam, that's it. Yeah. And it could be even they go on a couple of dates or something and you feel like this person really cares for me. And the next date, they actually drop you off and they leave. And but I I never heard him say more of the crime existing crime world that's out there. It always seemed more like um, well maybe he was just trying to to share more of the perspective of the types of people that they go after, not necessarily um, who's doing it. Sure, yeah, yeah. It, it's it's crazy. It's everywhere. There's there's people that look young and will pretend to be students in high school to recruit children, like. There, there's in Oklahoma City, um, one of the places that I volunteered with, like girls who came, grew up in million dollar homes are now being trafficked because they just get tricked by these people that pretend to be their boyfriends or, you know, and, yeah. and, and it's, it's really sad. I think I read a statistic once, uh, a, a, a little girl, by the time they are uh, 10 years old, will have seen 70,000 commercials on image. Like that, that does something to a person's self-esteem. And if, you know, if you don't learn love and value for yourself at a young age, it's easy to have that low self-esteem. It's easy to be vulnerable and be taken advantage of. And yeah, so that's part of our education too. So um, you're not in the, you said well, you're helping law enforcement, but are you in the same sense um, of the... So, so everything's still foundational. Okay. So, be, so I... Tr- Starting a nonprofit in the middle of COVID is hard. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. Anytime easy. it's hard. Yeah, yeah. true. And, and I'm also still active duty. So um, so everything has been very uh, intentionally slow mm-hmm. because I, I, as much as I want to dive in 100%, I'm still active duty. And that's, you know, pretty much a priority of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but but uh, the, the goal is to work with law enforcement. We don't work with law enforcement right now. Um, building teams is something that we're doing, mm-hmm. but, but working with law enforcement is not right now. I, I, I'm fascinated by it for a number of reasons, but I think in your case, having listened to your story and your journey and the things that you've been through, the fact that you're still wanting to give, still wanting to put yourself out there, still wanting to help other people find their path and everything... It's quite commendable, Amber. I mean, Thank you. you would think you'd be like, I, like you said, I just want to find, live off the, you know, off the grid in Montana and check out. I'm done. Yeah. I did my part to society and to humankind, and it's now it's time to just give myself safe, uh, self-love. And and there are times when I just want to go do that or buy a, <laughs> buy, a, um, <laughs> buy like, a, what is it, one of those silver... Airstreams? Uh, what is it? Like the Airstream camper? Yeah, yeah, the Yeah, Airstreams. I want to camp around the beach and just, like, forget the whole world, right? Like, I just want to be there on the ocean. Like, And you deserve it, yeah. I do. Maybe I'll have one of those for the weekends. But, yeah. like, I just, I, I, I cannot, like, I think I was, I think I was telling you before we started um, recording, but, you know, like, with, 
the reason I'm I'm a yoga instructor, like I teach yoga at a couple places on the weekends and um and stuff like that. But but the reason I teach yoga is because the piece that I feel on my mat, like I I have scars. I have a lot of scars from war, but I don't have it when I sit on my yoga mat. And and when I feel peace from my mat, and and I realize that I can sit there and not hurt. How selfish would that be for me to hold that in? You know, like I had to become a yoga instructor because I needed to share that with everyone. I needed to share that wounds and scars, that's okay to have. And it's okay to pretend like you don't have it for for an hour or 45 minutes or whatever. Like that's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and you can come back to it and you can deal with it in a healthy way. Now, you know, with sex trafficking and pedophilia, like I, I was not, I have never been a person who was sold for sex. I've never been, you know, those things, but I have definitely been taken advantage of. And unfortunately it's happened in the military. And, you know, like I, I, I won't dive real deep into that. Like that's probably a whole nother episode for you guys. <laughs> um, but it, it really, and here comes a cusser, it really fucking sucks that I go to war with men who in a heartbeat would turn around and take advantage of me. And, and we see it right now in the media and across, you know, all the awful incidents at Fort Hood and, and just everywhere, right? Like, that sucks that that, that has happened. And, and unfortunately, it didn't happen to me one time. It happened to me multiple times in the last 20 years. But, but I will say um, that because of those awful incidents and because of take, being taken advantage of, you know, I was able to bounce back. I am I am the most resilient person I know. I am. And I don't say that with a big head, but I say that with a confident spirit. Mm-hmm. I'm the most con- I am the most resilient person that I know. And because I am, I will give back and I'll keep doing that until the day that I die because it's pretty selfish not to in my book. Do you find that giving back in these ways helps you to maintain that resilience and to to stay ahead of absolutely it's healing yeah it's healing for me to give back if i don't give back um it's just holding on you know yeah well yeah i just i just listened to this and and again i i totally respect you and i and i think you know when you say when you say you're the most resilient person that you know i mean i I think from what all you've experienced and went through and stuff um, and building relationships and then losing them over and over again in that kind of sense it is um, tremendous and challenging, very challenging. Um, but, you know, again, I just really commend you for having the spirit to drive on and keep giving. And I don't know that I'd call it selfish. I think that in some cases you you've kind of earned that right. You know, and that you also, somebody else needs to carry the torch at, at times. You know, it's okay for you to, to say, I've, I've done enough. I've done all I can. Um, but, you know, to, to continue doing that and find different ways to use your talents and your strengths to bring that in a very different way, because this has nothing to do, really. It does, but it, it doesn't have anything to do with your military career. Right. But it's the things that you've either experienced or you saw around you and what you took in in your life. And what I will say that I like about this is that 
you you saw the person on the street. You reacted away. You caught yourself. You changed your perspective. You thought then differently how I can help others. You grew upon that while at the same time frame using probably those things to your military career. And now you're using what you learned within the military to the things that you're doing within Wolf's Den. Wolf Den or Wolf's, Wolf's Den? Wolf's Den. And, you know, when, when, I, when I look at all of that, I, I think, like, you're just on a... You're on a growth, and and this is just yet another, to you, another chapter in the book. Yeah. And, and as part of the journey. Sure. So a, few, a, a couple of years ago, a Delta operator told me that, that I'm going to change the world, and I believed him. And I still believe him. And, and, and I believe with my whole heart that I have the tools. We all do, right? Everybody has a path. Everybody does. And everyone has the tools. And I've never been the one to believe, like, oh, if you grew up in this neighborhood, you can't be anybody. No, we all have the same path. And you can take it or you can leave it. Yeah. But, but damn it, you should take it. Yeah. Right? And, and I, I do believe that, that I am meant to change the world. I am meant to save children. I, I'm meant to do good things. And, and if it means putting away bad people, like, I'm all about it. Yeah. Same. <laughs> yeah. Same. And I, I like think that. that's, the, that's probably the reason why, you know, you've got so much um, people contacting, so many people contacting you afterwards. Just like, yeah, to be able to continue doing what I do downrange and finding bad people and, and, you know, hunting them down, the same thing here. And people like, you know, you brought up a statistic, but people do not probably realize because it hasn't entered yet their sphere, their circle, but this happens a lot. Yeah. Trafficking is a huge thing. $97 billion. $97 billion. That's a lot of money. And and if we're talking about a way in which like, you know, usually you say you follow the money trail, we're getting to a point where it's harder to follow money trails because they've gotten better and better at doing that. And then you're talking about a crime world that's used to hiding the money trail. You know, it it gets even harder. These aren't amateurs in a lot of cases. These are individuals. Well, in some cases they are, but it it also is shocking when you see, um, I think it was last year, there was a couple hits where it was in the news and they made major hits. I mean, I'm talking about rounding up 20, 30, 40 people. And, and when you, when you see the faces of the individuals that are doing this, um, they're not always like you, you know, again, you would think of maybe it's a crime area or something like that. Sometimes easier just average Joe's too, that are uh, in the trafficking world or they're, they're at least in the first stage of it and they're passing it, the, the individual on. It's just pretty scary, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And um, when I think of my kids, grandkids, great-grandkids, whatever, you know, getting and growing into a society that um, has this in it, and it's this dark world that's out there and stuff. And maybe it existed well in the past and we just didn't know about it, but I don't know. It's very scary when you think about it. I think it's, it's always been there. Yeah. I think I think what's most alarming, or I'm sure you've had this realization, and you probably in when you're in Guantanamo, is that these people aren't like monsters, 24/7. The people that do things like this and terrorists, and mm-hmm. you know they they have families, they have a mom, 
you know, they sit down and eat supper with those people. They break bread. They laugh. They cry. People love them. They love people back in many cases. I mean, there are sociopaths out there. But any crime, even human trafficking, I mean, it's it's no different. You know, there's like Pablo Escobar, you know, like he's he had a lot of normal things he did. And then he's feeding people the alligators or whatever he was doing, you know, like. I think it makes it harder then for, you know, if you if you do go into the stage of helping law enforcement and like Guardian Group does and stuff and mm-hmm. trying to hunt down individuals. I think because they have the ability to disguise that part of it, it makes it harder. Yeah. Uh, because absolutely. you're you're looking for outliers, mm-hmm. you know, and when there's no outliers available, you know, when you're looking now, you're having to be able to, to you know, decipher through the what is otherwise normal, but yet there's something not right. Yeah. You know. It, have you guys seen Contraland? Uh-uh. Contraland is a documentary. You can watch it for free. Um, if you just Google it, it's also on YouTube. Um, a Navy SEAL, he started, um, it's called uh, Veterans for Child Rescue. And and um, they docu- the documentary is called Contraland. And it's amazing. So what, what they do is like, and I've taken classes like through them, but it, I'm doing, it, my Wolf's Den is very parallel to Contraland. Um, the same programs that they have is what I'm building. Um, and I mean, very little is different than than what they do, but it's really cool to to see what they've done. And it started with a Navy SEAL, and and what's what's amazing about his story is um, his daughter. I think she went to the University of Arizona or something. Um, you know, you know, imagine like a Navy SEAL, right? <laughs> like pretty pretty badass of a person, right? His daughter gets held at like knife point and tortured for hours and assaulted and, you know, and, and somehow escapes. Like she was supposed to die. Like he was going to kill her after he did what he wanted. Right. Wow. And she is hysterical calls, you know, gets away, calls mom and dad and imagine as a father and also a Navy SEAL, you know, like, what do you do? Yeah. Veterans for child rescue. (laughs) Like, wow. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's a really cool organization. I would definitely like, if you guys have time, watch the, documentary it just came out like i want to say last year um but but um i i support them a lot veterans for child rescue um they're just one of my like favorite nonprofits for real so wolves den how can people learn more about it if they're right. even so curious right to, now i was trying to hire someone to do my social media and it didn't work <laughs> out i got too busy but um i would say just add me on instagram if you if you know and then once i break away just just add me on on my instagram and then one day i'll i'll get someone to yeah, my what's social your, media yeah, what's your instagram uh yoga.soldier.fighterchit yeah. Is that my Instagram? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <You're just kidding. laughs> Sorry. Yo, yoga. Does it start with yoga? Or yeah, it starts with yoga. Okay. Yep. Yoga.soldier.fighter.chick. Yeah. A <laughs> lot of dots there. Lots of dots. I have a question before for you. For you. Yeah. Why wolves dead? Oh, well, okay. Yeah, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, So the wolf to me is, is such a... We'll go back to like spiritual, right? It's a very spiritual animal that represents so much. It represents courage and um, the way like a wolf pack is, right? Um, they they are together and they, you know, even when they howl, it's for a reason. You know, they're gonna they they hunt. They are hunters and they have courage and they are all about freedom. And you know, 
I am not, I've said it already, I'm not a Green Beret, but they're freeing the oppressed all day long. That is my mission and it always has been. And I will do, and I will liberate the oppressed for the rest of my life. And Wolves Den, um, and you'll see in my, in my, you know, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Special Forces, but a Special Forces guy did make my logo <laughs> and those arrows. The arrows are behind my wolf and the moon, and it all and it's all symbolic because because um, that's what we're we're doing is you know um, a, you know a lot of right now everything is brand new and foundational, but but we're we're getting the innocent that deserve freedom, right? We've all done it in the military. It's what we represent on that flag that we wear. And I, I can't get out of the military and just stop serving. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, the wolf to me is just like this amazing spirit animal that it's all about freedom and hunting and courage. And 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 so that's that's, pretty that's cool. why I love cool. the oppressed little bear. Yes. Well, Amber. and, and chaplain's forgotten country. That's Amber, thanks for coming all this way and joining us on the show. Sure. Thank you guys. I, really I, appreciate I feel, it. I'm so humble that you guys asked me to come on Why? for real. Why? Yeah. Man, I was telling I was telling the team at work, I was like, hey, uh, don't listen to people before my episode. They're like total badasses. <laughs> <laughs> Just That's listen funny. to my episode. <laughs> but yeah. No, thank you guys. Yeah, no, thank you.